Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. He is risen. See, just want to make sure you still got it in you, right? It's nearly the end of summer. Kids are getting ready to go back to school. It's like we're starting to go back into what we call a normal routine. We're almost there, and then all of a sudden, next Sunday, it's going to be a new worship time, a new bulletin, a new way to check in. Holy cow, my world is falling apart. I don't know how you're doing, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> okay? I was walking around yesterday, I was like, where the heck are the trash cans for crying out loud? Did we not order trash cans? Okay, we gotta get some trash cans. Change, we don't like it, but I'm telling you, it's imperative and it must happen. It has to happen. Jesus just said it himself to the disciples. Why? Why are you worried about all of these things? You wanted Jesus, right, to redeem all of Jerusalem and all of Israel. You wanted change. You wanted renewal. And you got it. But it didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. God didn't make the change in a way that was comfortable to you. How many times, how often has God allowed or made or forced change in your life and you have said, oh, no, 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 not today. We are not doing that. How many of you would like to admit that? A few, I don't think there's lightning coming with that one, all right? So, so here's the deal. When change comes, and I mean change for our better, I mean change for our good, I mean the kind of change that the rest of the world goes, why would you change that? You see, Jesus comes, God in flesh, we've spent the whole summer looking at the miraculous, the things that Jesus has done, and, and, as well as in the Old Testament with God the Father. And one thing that is consistent is that when God acts, things happen and things change. And that's great news for us because this ultimate miracle, today's the last day we're going to talk about the miraculous. This is going to wrap up this entire sermon series because this miracle that the dead in Christ are raised means that we know the, the future. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt for eternity where we will be with Jesus. We know it. Now that's meant to give us peace and hope and comfort. But unfortunately, what it tends to do is like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Or like the disciples, the eleven and others who were caught up in the room going, He's dead. Three days ago, we all saw him. He was hanging on the cross. One of us even put him in a tomb. They, we put the stone on the tomb. He's done. It's, get, it's gone. It's over. We thought there was a revolution. We thought there was something brand new. And it's done. And I think Christians today, we still live that way. Not that we doubt that the resurrection has happened. Not that we doubt that we know that Jesus is going to come back. I think we doubt in the fact of what is God doing today? Because until then, it looks pretty hard. Right? You still got customers that still berate you, right? You still got bosses that don't understand you. You still got co-workers that will sooner stab you in the back rather than support you, right? You've got neighbors that aren't helpful or friendly. You've got f f extended family or, or friends that seem to take advantage of you. you. You've got all this stuff going on in life. And it can be overwhelming. 
And dear Christian, I think it's because we forget to believe that the resurrection meant that Jesus was alive today. Today. That's the best part of this news. And tell you what, this is going to kind of piggyback off of our time of confession. He wants you to die today and then live. He wants you to die to the fear. He wants you to die to the gossip. He wants you to die to the anger and the unforgiveness. He wants you to die to your plans being changed and not happening the way you thought that they should happen. He wants you to die to holding on to bitterness and angst. He wants you to die holding a grudge. He wants you to die to the sin that so easily entangles. The selfishness. The hard-heartedness. The closed ears and the stiff neck. He wants you to die. Because you see, the story of the resurrection is is a glorious miracle. Jesus conquered death and the grave. He also beat Satan. He also paid for sin. So there's a lot going on in this miraculous story. But what's incredibly miraculous is that if you were the only person on earth, God the Father would still have sent His Son Jesus to die for you. Me. This is why it's miraculous. Because I can read my sin resume. Right? I can pull it up and go, and I know you all can do the same thing. You all can pull out your own sin sheet and go, he died for that, for that, for that and that. And maybe this morning, maybe you're feeling pretty good about your faith life. Maybe you're feeling pretty good about being forgiven. And and you're kind of going, hey, you know, I I don't really know the sin in my life. Go ahead. Just turn to the person next to you that you're worshiping next to and go, hey, uh, would you reveal some of the sin in my life that you're aware of? Just go ahead and do that right now. And then you're going to go, but don't answer it out loud because we're like in public. So if you could just kind of keep that to yourself, that'd be awesome. You see what I'm getting at? We get to the point of living in our Christian life that we go, well, I confess it before me and God, and that's all good. It's not all good. It's not. Because the body of Christ is then robbed of accountability with one another. It's not just between you and God. Our sin, this is going to come as a shock to everybody, is everybody's business. I don't mean that we walk around uh, just blabbing it left and right. But I'm telling you, our, our theologians right, have written for years and centuries about understanding that when people come forward in a church to Holy Communion, they're coming because they're all in the same boat. And if at any point in time you come forward going, well, I'm probably a little more righteous than the people I'm sitting with, but I still need some forgiveness. 
Or you come forward to the holy table, right? And you're going to take holy communion. And Jesus says, this is for the forgiveness of sins. And you go, yeah, you know, in case I sin later this week, I'll go ahead and take it. Kind of as an insurance policy. But I'm feeling really good right now. I'm telling you, don't do that. Because you're taking it wrongly. You're taking it in a wrong sense. And, and here's the deal. You were called to be alive. Jesus says it. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And yet you don't live like it. The, those last three words are not in here, but that's the, that's the understanding here. He, said, he does say, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And yet you don't live like it. You know that the prophets have said, confess your sin, be clean of heart, and honor God, and yet you don't do it. You know that the prophets have warned, don't live like the rest of the world. It'll, it'll be bad for you, and yet we still do it. You know that the prophets have said, honor God with your lips, and yet with those same lips, we degrade the people around. We know that the prophets have said, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Have a day of rest. And we continue to work hour after hour after hour for some dream without rest. We know what the prophets have said about honoring father and mother, and yet we still don't do it. We know what the prophets have said about keeping a marriage bed pure, and still we go our other ways. We know what the prophets have said about lying and stealing and cheating, and yet we still go our own way. Jesus says, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken but not do it. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Do you not know that in order to you can live in grace, you've got to be willing to be dashed by the law, crushed by God's perfection? Do you not know that you cannot be reformed and remade until you have been killed? the old going away so that the new can come. I think the miraculous part of the resurrection story is that yes, for eternity, we know where we're going to be with Jesus, but it's more of a story than that. It's meant for us to be today. It, it's as if God is saying, wait a minute, why, why are you still wallowing in your sin, in your fear? in your unfaithfulness. Why are you going there? Do you not know that the Christ, me, myself, I had to suffer in order to do what God ultimately wanted, which was conquer death in the grave. So even God himself knows what it's like to be dashed, to be killed, in order to be remade in order to be rebuilt, in order to truly be redeemed, you've got to die. This is what we say in the waters of baptism. 
Romans 6 talks about it. Do you not know that those of you who are baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you? And then because he conquered death in the grave, don't you know that then because you have been buried with him, that you will also rise because he's already risen. So Christian, why is it then that we do not live in such a way as to live in the resurrection? So here's the story, right? We just heard it. This morning, at some point during the day, two disciples are going to another town, right? seven miles away. They're talking. Their faces are downcast. Jesus comes up on the scene. Hey, what are y'all talking about? Uh, do you not know what's been going on? What else would we be talking about? Right? Jesus of Nazareth. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. But our leaders, they killed him. They crucified him. And they put him in a tomb. And what's even crazier is some of the women in our group, they went to the tomb this morning, and the tomb was empty. And they said, they were told by a vision from angels that he was alive. And, that, and that's, just, that's just blowing our minds. And Jesus chastises them. Don't you know that that had to happen? He had to die. This is all part of the prophecy. And, and so they got the greatest right sermon, Bible study, whatever you want to say, for the next couple of miles, Right? I can imagine the pace slowed down as Jesus said, hey, do you remember back here when we're talking about the tabernacle and the sacrificial system? Yeah, uh, that's what the Messiah did. He, he was the last lamb. Sin's paid for. And, and all the prophecy about having being destroyed and then being rebuilt, yeah, that, I, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening here. And for hours, they got to see prophecy after prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's getting on towards evening, which means close to that 6 p.m. hour is probably getting dark. And they say, hey, stay with us. It's already dark. Don't go anywhere. They don't yet know that it's Jesus. And he says, come on, stay in. And they go, okay, fine. And when do they recognize him? They recognize him when he breaks the bread. That's huge. They recognize him because he breaks bread just like he had broken bread for the feeding of the 5,000. He broke bread, no doubt, when he had talked about being the bread of life. He broke bread on the night in which he was betrayed. And the disciples go, whoa! And immediately, he disappears. Can you imagine the conversation right then and there between the two? Did were we talking to each other? Were we talking by ourselves? Was there, there was a guy here, right, just a couple of minutes ago. And he's, poof, he's gone. And their response, they immediately get up. After telling Jesus, hey, it's probably not safe to be outside in the dark. You know, come in. Don't keep traveling on further. They get on their high horse, right, and they make it seven miles back to Jerusalem. They're like, we have got to tell some people Jesus was with us. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know what it is? That, that's, a, that's an alive heart. That's a heart that's been dashed, right? Just minutes, hours ago, they were completely without hope. <sighs> and when the scriptures were opened, their eyes were opened, and their hearts came alive. 
right? You know what happens when your heart is on fire? You know what happens, right? When you are passionate about something, there is no stopping you, right? You know, you could probably look at your spouse right now and go, I know, if we went to a fabric store, we would be there for, you know, whatever, you know. Or, well, yeah, but if you were at a gun store, we'd be there forever, you know, getting some ammo and some targets. Or, or whether you're, you know, you're a baseball fan or a football fan or whatever. You know that heart and that passion, and you do. You put everything else aside for your heart and passion. You do. You sell out for it. You spend any amount of money and time and energy and effort on your passion. You do. It can be relationships or people or kids or, or all kinds of things. But you'll, you'll give everything for it because you're passionate about it. What if every Christian was that passionate about Jesus? What if every Christian was that passionate about the Word of God going, man, I don't understand it today, but I'm going to open it up anyway. Jesus, just feed me. Right? And you let the Word come in and you're like, mm, I don't know, that was like a five-course meal. I'll be belching that up the whole rest of the day. And I can picture the Holy Spirit going, well, it's not belching it up, but we're going to present it. Okay? We're going to be speaking it. We're going to make it applicable. We're going to have it make a difference in your life and in the lives of the people around you. That's what we're talking about, being resurrected. You die, and then you're raised to new life. Behold, the old things have been put away. The new things come. Now, what scares us are the new things. They do. And that's why we hold on to sin. That's why we hold on to what's familiar, because at least we know what the consequences are. At least we know what it's going to cause. But man, if we try new things... Oh my gosh, what would God do? What could God do in your marriage if you tried new things? Right? I mean, if you actually forgave your spouse and didn't give them the cold shoulder, well, what could happen? Well, what if you treated your kids differently? What if you treated people at church differently? What if you treated the unbelievers in your life like genuine friends instead of enemies of God? What could happen? Oh my gosh, what could happen to be alive, to be resurrected? This, I think, is the miracle. Is that not only does Jesus conquer death in the grave, not only does he say for eternity, you will be with me and alive. He says, how about today you live? How about today let your hearts burn within you about things that are important? About lost people? About sharing compassion and being forgiving? How about being loving and not judgmental? How about taking on the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love and joy and peace and patience, goodness and kindness, gentleness, self-control. What if you took those things on and let God really mold you and shape you? You'd have friends on Facebook going, um, where, who are you? Did you take over my friend's Facebook account? Because you're posting like, you know, godly stuff now. And your neighbors might go, whoa, what's, what's going on with you? And you'd go, Jesus, <laughs> he's doing it. Imagine. Imagine what a new life in Christ would mean for the people around you. A new life lived in you. For them. 
I think it would transform the world. And in fact, it's the only thing that ever has. The love of Jesus Christ. Amen.